He's a five-time Bassmaster winner, a six-time FLW winner, a former Bassmaster Classic champion, a former Bassmaster Angler of the Year, a former Forest Wood Cup champion, and a Bass Fishing Hall of Famer. This week, David Fritz joins me on... I'm Bob Cobb from the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Welcome one, welcome all friends, family, freeloaders, fishing freaks. You guys know the drill. You're all welcome here at the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast. That goes by my last name, which is Mercer. Welcome into episode 139. And happy hump day to all our humpers that tune in week after week. You know I love and appreciate each and every one of you. Um, this week's show is going to be a very fun show, and one that I've actually looked forward to for a while. Um, I've wanted to have him on, and my schedule got busy, his schedule got busy. Anyways, but let's not worry about the past, let's worry about the present. He's going to be on. Um, but before we talk about this week's show, let's talk about last week's show. Um, I believe that, that me and Randy had a very civil debate. And as I've said about 700 times in the comments, maybe that's an exaggeration through civil debate, we all learn, um, me and Randy left the conversation feeling good about it. I mean, I've talked to him since then and, um, we thought it was a unique podcast an opportunity to, you know, look at two different directions on something but boy uh in between us and you guys getting a hold of it the comments went nuts last i checked there was over 800 comments and um hey man people are passionate <laughs> let's just say that um some um listen i told randy this i'll tell you guys this i have literally never had a podcast guest that I've had literally hundreds of people, like no joke, hundreds of people have messaged me last week and said, I watch every single week, but I can't watch this episode. But I've also never had a podcast guest with more people that have messaged and said, like, what this guy says is the gospel. And they just start repeating his diatribe and, and, and what Randy stands for. So it was a um, it was a lesson in human nature. Let's just say that way. So um, remember, we all love to fish. We all do it in different ways. There's no need to get into some of the stuff that you guys got into in the comments. But to be honest, I mean, if I was a smarter YouTuber, I'd shut up and I'd, I'd poke you guys and I'd say, "Hey, yeah, bet you won't say this again." Because the more you comment, the better it is. That, that's how an algorithm works. People throw the name algorithm around, but it's simple. It's interactions. So if you like this podcast, feel free to comment at any time. I mean, you, you don't even have to say a word. Just give me a thumbs up. I mean, because that's what the algorithm responds to. People responding to the show, the length of time you guys watch, the length of, of, of how you interact, um, what you, even what you watch afterwards, believe it or not. If you are somebody who watches the entire podcast and then goes and watches some more YouTube, 
it actually ranks higher on the algorithm. It's it's crazy. But anyways, I appreciate you all for tuning into this show. Um, even even some of you guys who 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 said some not nice things about me in the comments, but um, I can get over that. Um, speaking of which, it is the festive season. This is our first show in December. Um, so Merry Christmas to all of you. Happy Festivus, happy holidays, whatever you celebrate, happiness, okay? And this week's show is all about happiness. Really, it's a celebration of an incredible career, an incredible, uh, an innovator, um, an amazing, I mean, at, at his time, in his peak in the 90s, I mean, David Fritz was one of the most intimidating anglers there is. What he knows about a crankbait, there's very few people on earth that can compete with him when it comes to that technique. Um, but he's an old school dude. I'll tell you how old school he is. Right before, and we'd set this up, we're going to record this, and, and right before I sent him a text and said, hey, shoot me your email address so I can send him the link for the video. And I got a response that was two different mailing addresses. And I'm like, no, 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 I need, I, I need the other mail. Um, so we did get connected and um, have a great conversation. Um, I never brought this up, but it's funny because I remember the weird thing about my job is a lot of the stuff that I yell on stage and everything was things I yelled as a kid. I just get paid to do it now. So there are certain guys that come along and you have questions that literally have burned in your loins. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but have burned for years where you wanted somebody to answer it. Well, lo and behold, I get this job where it's my job to ask people questions. Um, and, and, I've asked David this several times. I didn't ask it for him on the show because we've kind of played it out on stage. But I swear to you, so I was in my late 20s, whatever, when when Fritz, or my, early, my late teens, early 20s, um, you know, 19, 20 years old, however old I was, when he won um, the classic and all that sort of stuff. And I swear to you, for everybody who's ever seen that footage, and if we have the technology, maybe I'll try to put that footage on here somehow. Um but man, what he would do, he would hook a fish on a crankbait and he would literally walk that fish the whole way around the boat. You got to remember, lines were different, technology was different. And he would, you know, sometimes do two, sometimes three laps of the boat to tire the fish out. And I swear to you, when I was a kid watching on the couch, I was literally screaming this at the television. And I got to ask him because you would see him so gingerly walking around and just hand over hand. He would he would go around every obstruction and stuff like that. And you'd see him and he'd always get to, you know, the back of the motor. Obviously, you got to work it around there. But he would get to this one thing that would cause him nothing but mayhem. And it was the light post in the corner. So when he would get to the light post, he would have to pay, pass his rod to one side and get it to the other and bring it back. And I swear to you. A teenage version of me was screaming at the TV, remove the light post. <laughs> I mean, it's 12 noon. It is as bluebird a day as possible, and we still have that giant light post, and David Fritz is still handing it around. So that was literally the first question I ever asked David Fritz when I got to work with him. Um, I think his answer was, I never thought of that. 
But he is uh, truly a legend in this sport. He is a Hall of Famer. Um, it has been an honor to spend time with him on stage at Bassmaster events and um, and just be a tiny little part of his incredible, incredible career. And um, at a time when there is a lot of people bickering for different reasons in the fishing world, this is a time we all come together and we celebrate a legit legend, a groundbreaker. I mean, David Fritz is that special to this sport. And um, I know there's a lot of young viewers that are like, what, 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 what is that? You know, it's all about other guys. Before those guys, there was these guys. And without these guys, there is nothing. And I'm happy to present one of those guys, the one and only, Mr. David Fritz. David Fritz, I have wanted to do this with you for a while. And I don't know if you realize this, but um, you're a huge, I mean, we're going to talk about a lot of your career highlights. But, <laughs> but for me, growing up a fishing nerd, I guess, whatever you want to explain it as, when you came to the Elite Series, same thing when Larry came last year. It, it, it is a huge, just personally, I mean, I don't have anything to do, but but the 12-year-old version of me is kind of freaking out, I guess, is what I'm saying. <laughs> because every time I got to announce you, um, and, that, and that's a unique thing about the sport of fishing, because generally, if you grow up watching guys compete, by the time you get there to work for Bass, they're no longer competing. So I, I consider myself very lucky and very honored to have been able to introduce you uh, on the Bassmaster Elite Series. So personally, thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you've done a great job. It was always a pleasure. You know, I was there in the race cut days, and, and Ray was was fantastic at it too. And uh, The best. Yeah, he always brought the best out of people, and that's uh, that's been your goal too. It's, it's been, uh, man, it's, it's been a pleasure. It, uh, I, I hate to not have you on the elite series anymore, but I, I, I couldn't think of anything more than to celebrate your amazing career. I know how humble you are, but, but is there ever a part of you that's, you know, brushing your teeth in the morning and you think how in the, how in the world did this happen? I mean, you dreamed of doing something and literally have lived that dream. You know, I Believe it or not, I think maybe back when I won the classic or angler of the year, I'm thinking, man, you know, it is. It, I'm on top of the world, and, and and really, I never look back. And it's just been everything has sort of fell into place, and you know, it comes from a lot of different things. But uh, and then the development of crankbaits. I mean, when the Fritz side come out, all these young kids come up. And, and they know who you are. And before, uh, you know, the people that watch bass fishing knew that you won a classic, you won angler of the year, you won the FLW championship, of course, with Cup and, and this and that. But then the very young anglers, I'm talking about the ones that are eight, nine, ten years old, come up to you and bring a Fritz side and want to sign. That's pretty special. Very special. Um, when did it start for you? Well, like, At what age do you remember... I mean, I know you won the first classic you fished. I know you fished Redmond before that, but at what age did David Fritz 
say, hey, man, I think I'm going to try fish for a living. <laughs> well, you know, I'm like everybody else out there watching. It, it's it, You want to do it, and a lot of times your funds don't permit you to do it, and that was my problem. You, you know, I was helping my dad in a tire shop. I was actually retreading tires, and I was putting the rubber on the tires and changing tires and all that good stuff. And 1981, there was a tournament called the Thorns Bass Bowl, and it was on Bugs Island Lake. And I talk about 1981. Now, I fished tournaments before then, but mostly club tournaments and little bitty jackpot tournaments. But this was a big tournament. It had 420 or 30 people and 420 or 30 boats in this thing. And, and I got fortunate enough to win that. And that's really when I thought, you know what? If I could just get me some money together. <laughs> and then in 1985, when I won a Redman Regional, that gave me a truck and boat, then won it again the next year, and then we actually won two more of them. So by 1989, and I'd done fished a bass event or two, I finally had saved up enough money to to go fish. And I'm thinking, you know, this is going to be easy. Well, I go all year long into the fall, and then he made a dime. And then I went two tournaments in a row, and, and the rest of it sort of history. So... Uh, that was really my breaking point. That's when, uh, well, I always worked for my dad, and but that's the time that I, I, I fishing was number one. That's what I did. So in 1989, that's when I retired from working and started fishing. What was and how old were you then? Oh Lord, I graduated in '75, '85. So that made me. 17, 27, 28, somewhere along in there. So in, in your late 20s. Like these young kids is in there today, man. <laughs> yeah, that that to me blows away me away that an 18-year-old can qualify for like I'm I mean, I, I look at my 17-year-old son and I'm like, what what are you doing? I mean, this kid's getting ready to drive across <laughs> the country. Um yeah. but you were in that situation too, not not at the same age, but but how right. was the reaction to family, friends, people around you when you said, "Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be one of those guys. I'm gonna fish for a living." <laughs> well, I think my sister understood it. Um, my dad said, "You'll starve to death." <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the exact words from my dad. You, you're going to starve to death, but he supported me. And then when I come home from winning the classic in Birmingham, he was the first one there to give me a hug again. And he said, he told me he was wrong. <laughs> and, and I didn't want him to be wrong. I mean, I didn't want him to feel that way. But I knew I could do this. It was just a matter of of having the finances. And, and I wish I could have started five or ten years earlier because I was really in my prime in, in, in about 22, 23 on. But I learned a lot. And I learned a lot every, every year that I fished. I, I would learn something that helped me. And then it sort of peaked in the early nineties, 93, 92. Actually, I should have made the classic in 92. And I, I never will forget. I threw back a fish at Lake Murray. No. I had one fish and it cost me, I missed the classic by one pound. Ouch. I broke down. And, and so don't never do that. <laughs> or I would have made the classic in 92. So, uh, the one Bob Hamilton won. Yeah, Robert Hamilton Jr. I yeah. remember it. Um, yeah. 
do you think if you could go back right now with all the knowledge that you have and give that David Fritz some advice, what what would you tell him? <laughs> oh man. Well, you know, I, really, you can't tell these young guys anything. They, they, <laughs> they know it, <laughs> but <laughs> I would, I would say, be truthful, number one thing, because I've heard too many people get up on stage and, and tell, talk about it uh, and, and say they caught them on the bait and they didn't catch them on that. And that, that's my number one pet peeve. One thing is to be honest. Yeah. Be truthful. Uh, even though you catch them on a different brand crankbait, just tell them you caught them on a crankbait. You ain't got to say I caught them on X brand, X brand, and be lying about it. So, And that's one thing I never did. I always told the truth. And I always treated people the way that I wanted to be treated. And I really tried to help, you know, back in the day we had, we had, you know, we had a circuit, a seminar circuit that, uh, uh, Gary, what's his last name? Gary, but anyways, the bass. Gary fish Judici? Yeah. Gary, uh, uh, Gary, uh, his phone was, but anyway, <laughs> my mind, that's saying when you get, uh, 67 years old, you know, you, you and almost 68 next month. So, um, but I think that if I have one thing to pass on and, and the thing is I passed it on all the years that I've been fishing, you know, I would tell people in seminars exactly what I was doing, exactly everything. But I think the main difference was, and the reason it didn't ever come back to home me is because most, most people just didn't have the feel for that bait, a crankbait like I had. And, you know, even when I'm up there at Berkeley, I, uh, you know, on the tank, I close my eyes and I fit and I, and I test that crankbait. I don't look at it. I close my eyes. I, I eventually look at it, but it's just the feel that you have developed from throwing one for 50 years, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, and you know, when something is really good, uh, but I, I guess above all, be honest, be truthful and and work hard you know you know this day and time i was talking to patrick walters and he says you know you, you don't throw till you see a fish and i'm thinking well what's that <laughs> i mean you know I, i'm used to finding fish with my bait just like rick Klein, just like larry nixon uh davy hyde all you know we're used to finding fish with your bait and that's been the hardest thing to overcome and still haven't overcome it because one thing I ain't got the eyes to see as good as I would like to, but, and I don't have the knowledge to set my stuff up like they have them. I mean, a lot of them are getting what, 10, 12, uh, transducers on a boat. So it, it makes it a little difficult <laughs> anyway. Uh, it's just a different deal. And, you know, I'm used to reading the flasher. I still got flashers on my boat and they still give you an advantage. Uh, the problem is the fish don't live on drops and they don't live where they used to live because of the pressure. And, yeah. you know, now there's so many fish being caught in open water. Uh, that's how most of, you know, that's where the majority of the fish are now. But, uh, you know, fishing has really changed over the years. <laughs> it, it really has. And one thing that that stood out to me throughout your career, whether I was watching it as a kid or watching, you have always been the guy who searches for the stuff that nobody else is searching for. Like, if you look at your yeah. whole career, I mean – Back then, when you won the classic, 
you were fishing a different way than the majority of the field in a different depth of water. Uh, and now, I mean, there is, is that why has the crankbait and why has that been different? Like, where did that start happening for you? Um, I don't know. I, I fell in love with it back in the 1974 and 1975 when I first started fishing and I never could feel one bite my worm. I, I'd pull a worm and every time I'd hit a rock, I think I had a bite, you know, but I knew if I tied that crankbait on it and believe it or not, back in those days, I was throwing a Zipco one, if you know what that is, a spinning reel. Yeah. Not a open face, but I mean a, a closed face, uh closed face push button reel. And that thing would whip you like a dog. <laughs> but I knew if I kept throwing that crankbait sooner or later, I was going to catch some fish. And that's how I got started with it. And I just never quit. I knew if I, I stuck with it and I, I kept looking, uh, you know, figure out what depth they're in, figure out what color they want, figure out what action they want, figure out how to retrieve it. And all that stuff just kept getting better and better. And I think my biggest move was in 1985 when I fished the first Redman Regional. It was on Lake Sinclair in Millersville, Georgia. And, man, I just, I lost so many fish. I probably didn't even catch, I probably caught 50% of the bites that I had. And, and that day, I said, you know what? Anybody would have caught those fish I lost would beat me. I said, if I can ever figure out how to get those fish in the boat, then... I'm gonna win some tournaments, and and that's what I did. I mean, it took a it was a matter of, of making some adjustment and ch and changing your equipment a little bit. But man, once I figured that out, I could get catch nine out of ten bites. And I probably can't many people say that right now. They they catch nine out of ten. So uh, that's what happened with me with a crankbait, and I think that was my biggest push to where I am today. You said when you throw it bait when you're testing baits on a tank you close your eyes can you tell before even fishing a bait that this has got the action that a <laughs> fish wants well i can i can tell by fishing a crankbait and closing my eyes that feel when it gets that really you know you can't tell people how to feel uh you know that's been the whole deal with crankbaits you can't tell people how to feel but when I had that certain feel, I knew that that bait had a real good chance. And then we'd go back and tweak it and tweak it. And them guys laughed at me out. out. Well, they did at Rapala when I made the DTs and and uh, at, at Berkeley. You know, they think, man, aren't you going to look at your bait? I said, no. And a lot of times I'd just turn my body and, and wind and just, you know, let my my tools feel what's going on. And once you learn that little bitty feel, I mean, that's when you know something is really good. I, I guess the worst trouble I ever got into, and everybody has heard of Yarmo Rapala, and I, I may have told this story before, but he had sent me, we were working on DTs, and I took him out in the cornfield, and I showed him what was important, being able to cast a long way, and then we went to, to some kind of little stream where he trout fished at, and you know, I tried to, I tried to teach him. I tried to, to tell a lot of people about the feel, and and I remember he sent me some baits, and and man, they were just 
they weren't even close. So I taped a quarter to one of them and sent it back, and he called me. Wanted to know what the quarter was for. I said, it's worth something now. <laughs> so, <laughs> man, did I ever get the thrashing of my life? I ain't never heard such words. But uh, anyway, I didn't do that anymore to him, but I have done it many times. And, and uh, you know, that's the thing with, with crankbaits. Some of them are, 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 are good. Some of them are okay. Some of them are terrible. In fact, a lot of them are terrible, to be honest with you. And then you you run across a bait of a lifetime, you know, like some of the, the actually the bad chat that we made at, at Berkeley was, man, that was just a killer bait. I mean, you could outfish any other swimming bait like it with that bait. But then when the fritz side come out, it just knocked everything in the hole. I mean, you know, once in a lifetime, once in a, I don't know, 50 years, you, you make a bait that all you got to do is throw it out and wind it in and everyone bites it. And that's mm -hmm. what's been the, the huge success. That's why they sell them, you know, millions of them. So, uh, because it's a no brainer and yeah, it's sort of like the, a rig and a lot of those things. It's going to settle down a little bit and it does have its time zone when it's really good. But I knew when I saw that, saw that bait in the tank and when I fished it, I said, man, I said, I want two weeks to make sure that I can't make it better. And I said, we got something special here. And I told the guys there in uh, uh, Spirit Lake, Iowa, I said, we got something really special here. And, and you know, the rest is history. You see what it's done. So, uh, and the Rafa DTs, all those bases, especially the DT6, they're all really good special baits. Uh, even some of the pose uh, way back in the 80s and 90s. But uh, but those baits were really, really special. So, uh, and it all comes from just feel. And a lot of fishermen don't understand. They throw a crankbait out there and they stick their rod in the water and then it takes away all your feel when you stick your rod in the water. I said, listen, you can't do that because you're not going to be able to truly feel that bait or when a fish is up close to it or, or pushes it or anything else, you can't feel it. So that's, that's the number one. And I still say that today when I do a seminar, that's the number one thing in crankbait fishing is learning the feel and knowing the difference between when something's not right. So when you, and, and speaking of something special, you know, I have this, but, but many people don't know one of four of that. This, this is actually the, yeah. You said there was one of four pre-run Fritz side. This is the junior. Um, yeah. But in the little note that that I have that you wrote for it, it says how this is this is where you would tune everything and make sure that the production models were exactly what you. Yeah. So what do you do to like? What is your process if you wouldn't mind telling me when you get that bait? What goes into it for you to know that this is what we need to have? <laughs> well, it, it, it's something that a lot of people can't can't do. And another thing, I have the other three, so you're the only one that's got one of those. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, uh, now, I have some clear ones where we were going through 27 or 28 different prototypes to, to get where we were. And, uh, you know, that's sort of it, the story goes on and on. But to get to make sure. We do the same process as we do when we're developing it. I go out there and make sure, compare it. 
you know, I look at it in a tank. I look at it every situation, top, bottom, side, everything. And we've got ways, uh, you know, Berkeley to measure that. So we can really tell if it's exact. And they got it on the head. I mean, uh, a lot of times you're real nervous because a lot of times you'll send a great bait. And we've done this. You, you'll send something that's fantastic and it comes back just a little bit different. And a lot of times, you know, you're too far in the process. If it's not a whole lot of difference, sometimes it gets gone. But that bait there was exactly like the prototype bait you uh, that we had at the start. You are widely considered maybe the greatest crankbait angler. Of a, but if there was a Mount Rushmore of crankbait anglers, I don't think there's any argument from anybody on earth. You you would be on that. Who else do you look at? Like, who would be up there with you? Oh, man, that's a, that's a hard question. You know, Rick Clun's always on one, but he's been in a little different class than me because he always fished shallow. Yeah. And Rick is very, very proficient with the crankbait. Uh, Van Dam is good with, and actually I took Van Dam fishing, so he had a good reason. Uh, he got a lot, and it, I think I give him a lot of good pointers because we was at Lake Tufala, and I needed him and Mickey Bruce to do good in that tournament and make the classic uh, move up, so I could get into the classic because I was right on the bubble. And I don't remember what year this was, ninety something. Uh, might have even been 2000. So I took both of them fishing, give them all my fishing spots. And and really, either both of them, either one of them, it would have been a toss up through one. I ended up just going fishing up in stance. I never will forget that. And they got mad at me because I said, they said, well, you held out some spots. I didn't held out no spots. I just went fishing. But uh, uh, that's, that's sort of how that deal works. I don't know who. You know, there's a lot of good crankbait fishermen. And I'm trying to think. Probably besides Rick Klein. And Rick, I think he may have won a tournament on a deep crankbait. I don't know. But most of the time, he was mostly shallow, like five foot or less. And yeah. and he, were hard, he was hard to beat with that square lip. And some of the little baits that he threw, he used to throw a, a Bill Norman uh a little bitty Bill Norman, uh, I don't remember what they call it now, mini R or something, or mini, uh, anyway, uh, I, don't, I don't know, you know, crankbaits are sort of like spinnerbaits, they've sort of, they're getting a little more timely, like certain times of the year they're real good, and then the rest of the time of the year they're not not as good as they should be, and that's what, what spinnerbaits went through, you know, back several years ago, now chatterbaits have, have taken over, and uh so, but the crankbait still cold weather or in the fall, still no, no nothing any better. It's an incredible bait. Um, <laughs> and you, when you look at your career, you were definitely a crankbait specialist. Th then you had guys <laughs> like Denny Brower who were jig specialists. Um, yeah. And so on and so on for every bait category. You know, you'd know, like, if we get to a jig tournament, Danny's going to play. Tommy Biffle's yeah. going to play. If we get to a cranking tournament, everybody knows you You still play to this day. Yeah. Um, can you be that anymore? Can you be that kind of specialist on the Elite Series? 
I don't I don't think so just because of the schedule and going up for smallmouth uh, going up north and, and that's just become a strictly sonar tournament uh, you know I, I can see my crankbait on on, on my Lorenz forward face and I can see it I can see it come back but that, that sort of makes me nervous I, I don't know that I want to see it I want to be feeling <laughs> and, and that 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 was a, a big difference. But I really don't think, besides something with a hook and lead on it or a hook and tungsten or whatever, I don't think any one bait can be dominant anymore. We have crankbait tournaments, and then we have, every now and then we'll hit on a jig tournament, we have chatterbait tournaments, but mostly, you know, drop shots, finesse fishing. I mean, that's sort of what fishing has evolved to. The other thing that's that's evolved, and and it, I thought it was great how you said always be honest. But then you also said, if you're not throwing the brand, just tell them you're throwing a crankbait. So there is a there is a way to be sneaky and still be honest, which which that's I right. appreciate. That's right. But you can't keep secrets anymore. Like some of the stuff that you did back in the day, when the Fritz Blitz Fritz Blitz was a thing, and and you were dominating for for as long as you did in the nineties. Nobody got to see everything. Nowadays, I mean, if you've got a live camera on you, you know exactly what you're throwing, how you're throwing it, if you're putting a pause in it, if you're speeding it up or whatever you're doing. How tough has that been to adjust to as a competitive angler? I mean, secrets are a big part of this game. Well, it is. And, and you know, you can look at four faces sonar. You know, it's big secrets how these guys got everything hooked up. And nobody, and so that gives them advantage. Well, you know, crankbait fishing used to be the same way. But to be honest, that never really bothered me. I mean, we were at Santee Cooper, and this wasn't necessarily with the crankbait, but, you know, I broke the bass record one day. Uh, what was it, five fish or something like that, and weighed 34 or something. OT Fields broke it the next day, and they ended up beating me by an ounce or two in that tournament. But, and and we were fishing with competitors in the boat, right neck to neck, shoulder to shoulder. And, you know, I was doing something with my bait that he didn't. He didn't catch fish, and I catch 34 pounds. And the same way with crankbaits, you know, back in the Hunger Fisherman days, you as way before you, but, uh, you know, I won six or seven of those things and won their championship also, the Hall of Fame Classic. And I never will forget, you know, and those guys would get up there and they stick a rod in the water and they, they just wouldn't pay attention to what their bait was doing. And and one thing I can still keep a secret is all about field. And 98% of the people don't have a clue what a crankbait feels like. Yeah, they, if they throw it out there and they say, yeah, that's how it feels, but they can't tell when a fish is around their bait or they can't tell when something's not exactly right. Now, if it's real severe, like they're not slacking your line or something like that, yeah, you can feel that. But it's those little bitty things. And that's why I say it. it you know, I was winning on TV doing the same thing. And they just, it boiled down to, you can't tell anybody how to feel. That, that's the bottom line. And that's the number one thing in, in fishing is learning the field. And there's not very many people that will do that. Now, when fish are, su I call them suicide fish, when they, when you're running, and they grab hold and they take off your rod bends, yep, I got him. Well, that's a suicide fish. And, and we have those days, but there's a lot of days that we don't. And 
that's where, you know, knowing what a bait is supposed to do and, and just learning the feel of it. And like I say, I wish, and I tell this at my seminars, I wish I could tell somebody how to feel. And you can't tell them how to feel. I mean, there's no way you, you can teach feel. It's just pay attention. And when you throw one 10, 12, 14 hours a day, every day, I know a lot about it. Well, you, you definitely know a lot about it. One thing we don't know a lot about, though, is tell me about those draw days. When you were, it was pro against pro, like there's a little evil part of me that grew up as a giant wrestling fan and fishing fan that <laughs> I think if we brought that back, it would, I mean, with the live cameras now, it would literally be incredible. But th there must have been a ton of gamesmanship or whatever you want to refer to it as in those days. Well, you know, that was a big time strategy and you had to plan it and hopefully you didn't draw these little group of people that's over here to my right. If you drew them, it, it was going to be bad. But a lot of times when you drew somebody, I drew Jimmy Houston uh, and I remember him specifically because, you know, Jimmy's going to throw a spinnerbait. So, you know, I only get three or four hours on my crankbait, and then we got to go, and he's going to be throwing a spinnerbait up in water when I need to be throwing it on the side of the boat. So it gets very competitive, very, very, very competitive. I never drew Rick. I always wanted to draw Rick, fun. And, you know, I fished with Larry. Um, I fished with a lot of good guys. Uh, Biffle, I fished with... Um, Forest wood. I mean, I fished with a lot of different people over the years. And usually it was just pretty easy. And most of the time, you know, everybody just got along good. But, you know, when when you're actually, when we had co-anglers, it was actually worse than fishing with a pro. <laughs> Believe it or not, because really? most time a co-angler wanted to throw five feet across your line that way. But I finally figured out a way to offset that too. But <laughs> There's a lot of strategy in it, and and like I say, it boiled down to filling my bait, especially on the crankbait bite. A lot of times I wouldn't get to do it all day, and it would cost me, but uh, that's what it boiled down to because I've had people in my boat throw out there and be wanting the crankbait, and they do this right here, and they say, yep, I'm hung up. I said, yeah, he's about a six-pounder right out there. <laughs> Didn't even know he had a fish. <laughs> he's hung up. So, and and, and I'm, I'm talking about in the classic, I went behind a very reputable, and I left out Paul Lice on this deal, too, uh, being the crankbait guru, but uh, Paul was really good at it, uh, and he created a lot of stuff. But in the classic, there was a guy that was a pretty good crankbait fisherman, and I'm thinking, man, if I could just get over there, and I went by two or three times, I, I knew I could catch him if I ever got there. And they were sitting there and sitting there. And so anyway, I come back by and he was about 75 yards down that ridge. I said, I'm going to stop. I got this one stump I'm going to throw at. And I throw it up there and I catch one, I catch one, I catch one, I catch one. <laughs> and this guy, I'm not saying no names, was coming over to me. And he got up there and I sort of held my rod underwater. I didn't want to see what I was doing. I wanted to know what I was doing. I said, he'd been there all day. And I caught a fish and I pulled up there and catch four on four casts. So, you know, things like that happens and it makes you feel good. Uh, and just because you know what to do, you, you, you know, the secrets in crankbait is, is one, 
learning to depth, knowing how deep each bait you have runs and how deep the fish are. Then what color, because a lot of people say, well, color don't matter. Color doesn't matter sometimes, but sometimes it is so important, it's incredible. I mean, when I want a classic chartreuse with a blue bag, and you can throw any other color made, and they wouldn't bite it, or they would knock at it and not get it, but that bait they would get. So that gives you an advantage, and then knowing how to retrieve it. You know, I'm using these old Lou's BB1s with, uh, oh, what were they? Four, three to one ratio, 21 inches per turn. We still got the 21 inch per turn reels, but, uh, and that was a big key, that, because I like to wind fast. So I could adjust that a little bit and, and, and figure out something, but it, it, I'm going to tell you those days when pros fish with pros, nobody wants to do it anymore, but they were, they were real special because one thing we could, we could learn other techniques. You know, you fish with Ben Denny Breyer, you're going, and, and the same way with Jimmy Houston, Jimmy Houston is so accurate, the most accurate caster I've ever been in the boat with. He could take a spinnerbait and throw it back through four trees and hit the bank. And I, I just could, I, 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 it got away from me. One thing, if I get to the bank, I'm going to be in the trees. <laughs> and he was doing that thing all the way back. And I'm thinking, man, alive, he's got to be the best caster in the world for throwing his shallow cover. And then Biffle and Briar, they did the same thing. They could, you know, you got a cup up there the size of a silver dollar and they throw in it. And that's what it amounts to. And, and their field is a great above everybody else's too. They know when they got a bite. You know, sometimes we pick up and we feel them spit it out. Well, they know the difference, and and that's what makes them good at what they do. So you learn a lot of different techniques fishing with other guys. But man, that, those were the the greatest fishing days in the world. Who who would you get most excited to draw? Like who was I'm hoping I draw so and so. Oh man. I tell you, well, I can tell you, I drew Guido Hebden at Potomac wow. River, and I thought, man, this is going to be the worst day, and I had a chance to win a tournament. And Guido sat on the back of the boat, never threw where I was throwing, and, and probably the greatest draw I ever had. And I never had a clue that he was going to try to help me. I didn't win a any second. But I always finished second at Potomac. So, <laughs> but um, I remember that as good as it was yesterday. How much and how good a feller Guido was, and how important he knew what winning was, and give you a chance to win. Th these guys today, that they don't happen. <laughs> They're not going to give you a chance to win. But that was the occasion when I thought I had the worst draw. And I actually had the best draw. I guess I really don't know who was a, who would be that I didn't want to fish with because I enjoyed it with everybody I fished with. Uh, my my deal was if I drew somebody that I knew was going to be on the bank and being in knee deep water all day, that was a draw I didn't want, and that was several people. But you know, I, I wanted to learn, and so I really, I really, to my knowledge. And I'm trying to think back. I don't think I ever had a bad draw. I really don't. And one thing, because I got to do what I want to do a lot of times is just for four or five hours. Um, I remember, do you remember Craig Daniels? Yeah. Well, yeah. But, uh, he lives here on, on Smith Lake, and I was fishing 
uh, it wasn't a bass tournament. There was another tournament, a hunger uh, fisherman tournament. And I was leading the tournament. No, I was in second. He was leading the tournament, and I drew him. And I'm thinking, man, he's throwing a spinning rod with four-pound line. I'm thinking, man, alive. I said, Craig, just let me have a couple hours. And I knew I'd had it. But as far as a bad for me, that was probably the worst draw ever because I let him do – because he was ahead of me. But I could have won that tournament if I had drew anybody else. So, and I was catching on a Frank Day up on a, on a little underwater point. And uh, when I went there that morning, they just wasn't there yet. It was still – it was real cold in December. No, it was in January. So – and I love Craig and Beth. He's, he's a great guy. Actually, I tried to help him a little bit in some of the classics. But that was probably just because he was leading the tournament. But – yeah, I, I I love fish with anybody. It, it don't <laughs> so you you made comment that the the people today, the anglers today, that they don't have that same um, cordial, I guess, approach to things. It's a little bit more dog eat dog. It, am I reading that right? I would say that's probably it. <laughs> um, you know, in the past. Back in the day, when you knew somebody was leading the tournament or second or third and had a chance to win, you know, there's only two or three guys you had to worry about coming in on top of you. And I'm not going to name them, but if you got by them, you were good because nobody was going to, everybody was going to give you an opportunity to win. And I think that's still true in, in, in ways, but it's more when fishing changed to $100,000 first place, all that stuff changed. So, uh, people got more hungry, more eager, uh, didn't mind on stepping on some toes. And which you always had four or five guys that you had to worry about anyway. But I think that's one of the main differences I see from the Larry Nixon, Rick Klein, myself, uh, uh, you know, all the Guido Head and all the, all the Paul Lice, you know, that era we all had respect for each other, probably more so than we do now. Because now it's sort of like a dog-eat-dog, dog, $100,000, we're going to win no matter what. And a lot of that comes from, I, I think the younger guys are probably a little worse at that than than the, than the veterans are. Uh, and you take Larry, even right now, Larry would never come within a mile if he knew where you were at. And, and Rick Klein would do the same thing. I mean, those guys, it, we just grew up in a time and place where we respected each other and we knew if you had a chance to win, that's what we did. So, but anyway, times have changed. Times definitely have changed. Um, and some would say that's the evolution of the sport, the competition, you, you know, every sport. Um, I mean, you'd listen to people tell stories about, football back in the day or anything. I think everything has, has changed. I mean, as it gets, I mean, the big buzzword is grow the sport, but with growing <laughs> yeah. the sport becomes, it becomes a lot more aggressive. It becomes yeah. a lot more, um, doggy dog. Do you think it was easier to become a pro back then? Or is it easier to become a pro today? Because I mean, yeah, they've got the advantage of technology, but they also have the disadvantage of everybody seeing every move they make. Mm -hmm. And boy, it just feels like there is more and more pros every uh, like the I mean, 
the heyday of the sport, as many people want to refer to it as, I get it. I mean, there was one tour. There was one group of guys. And if you were part of that 50, it was the heyday. Well, now there's hundreds, if not thousands of people trying to become pro anglers. Yeah. Who, who's got the easier route when you started or somebody who's starting this year? Well, I think when I started, it may have been a little bit easier. Uh, not that the competition was any easier. It was just, if you could do good, you could get help better and you could get support, uh, more support. Um, and, you know, in the older days, and I'm talking about the 80s, 90s, 2000s, it was, it was actually very, a lot of competition. I mean, it wouldn't hand it to you on a plate. You had to be lucky. You had to really be on top of your game, just like you do now. But now it's more diluted. And the young guys, and it, and it becomes an eye game, and who's the best video player? <laughs> and I hate to put it like that, but that's about what it boils down to. But uh, I think right now, and it may be because I'm slipping and I still want to find them with my bait instead of looking at them, but I, I think it's a lot harder now. I really do. I, I just, uh, man, you know, I told my son, and my son's a pretty good fisherman, but, you know, to, to get in there and get to be where you need to be, man, alive. It's just, it's, it's tremendous. And, but we are seeing young people come and go, maybe a little bit more than we did in the past. But, uh, and I, and I think that's true, but competition is key and it's just a dog eat dog. And, you know, an 18-year-old, 19, 20-year-old guy gets in there and he thinks, well, I'll call Berkeley and give me $50,000. <laughs> you know, that ain't going to happen. And, and a lot of times they're missed. They think the sport is, I don't know how to say the words, but they think they can make more money than, than what the normal is. And I think that this day and time, with the exception of four or five people. And that's the way it's always been. Four or five people made the most money. And back then it may have been 12 or 15 or 20. And now it's just very few, but everybody gets a little piece, just enough to keep them interested and keep them going. So they have to really uh, depend on winning. And, but if you win enough, then you're going to get there. But it, it's a lot tougher now. It really is. Uh, and I see it, you know, being, been with Berkeley for all these years and Rapala too. It's just, uh, man, you, you see all the competition out there for for a handful of money. And and then the more you get in there, the more it gets diluted. So I think that's what they're having to deal with now. And I think it's tough. I mean, I just think this day and time, I mean, to quit a job and, and just go fishing, man, that that's, which I was stupid. My daddy said I was stupid back back in the eighties. <laughs> he didn't say stupid. He just said I'm gonna starve to death. That's what he said. <laughs> so, and this day and time, that definitely can happen. Yeah. Well, I'm. I mean, it's a cool moment when your dad. Uh, for any kid, I think when their dad says, "Hey, man, you were right. You you did stuff." 
And I think from a parent, you always just, I mean, now that I have kids and I look at them, I mean, what do you want for your kid? You just want them to be safe and happy. Like at the end of the day, you do, so pro fishing is not generally safe. I mean, anything that you try to do where you're chasing something that, that you love is, is tough. I think, um, it's tough. you've definitely hinted around the, I don't know if you're even hinting about it. I think I know how you feel the forward facing sonar thing. It feels like from our conversation that, that not only not a fan, but uh, well, I don't want to answer for you. You tell me where, where you're at with forward facing sonar. Well, I, I tell you what I can't get over and that's finding fish with your bait. And that happens sometimes in early spring. It happens a little bit in the fall, but pretty much. Them guys in the back line hit it on the head and don't even cast till you see one. And and I can see images, but I, I don't have the same equipment. Even though I got the same brand, I just don't have my equipment like some of them have it. So, uh, but that's how fishing is this day and time. I mean, that's just, you know, the, the side imaging caught most of the fish on the breaks and on the drop-off. That's how... That's why there's not many fish out there anymore, except on a very few occasions. And fish get more timely. They get there, they're only up there for a few minutes, and they leave. And I think Simon Imaging done that. Uh, so everything has played a big role now. And I'm sure the forward facing is going to play out. I mean, I, I really think it will. Now, it may not, where you've got millions of fish up north in Lake Erie and, and, and some of those great lakes, but... I think eventually it's sort of like the Alabama rig. It's sort of played down a little bit now. Uh, fish got used to it. So uh, that's the way it is with everything. But I am I admire the guys that have got good enough eyes to see it. And, and it's just hard for us older guys <laughs> to get used to sitting there watching that and not casting. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I mean, I can't. I gotta. I see something that looks good. I gotta throw. Well, them guys they aisle around over it and they look at it. If they don't see a fish, they only make cast crack it and leave. I, I, I can't do that. That's not the way I've, I've, I've ever fished or ever been brought up to fish and everything I know. So, you know, it is what it is. That's the way fishing is today. And you hear a lot of fans complaining because they don't want to see the back of those guys. And and it sort of took the heroes out of fishing. With, with find them, you know, going down the grass line and find them by mistake and winning the tournament. You know, a lot of that stuff is suffering because of that. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. I admire the guys that can do it. I don't have the ability. Uh, maybe if I get me a pole where I got it right here, like I'm looking at you, I might be able to do a little bit better. But I still wouldn't be able to throw because I'm used to throwing as far as you can throw. And here I am, got to throw 30 feet. And that'd be, that'd be a challenge for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely, I mean, it's changing things. Um, and, and I don't think that, I don't think this debate's going to end anytime soon. I mean, I, I did a podcast with Randy Blockett last week, so you can imagine the direction that that went. Oh yeah. Um, and my only thing from the beginning is I agree with a lot of that, like the whole, like the, the mystique of not knowing what's going on. You know, you know what I mean? Not yeah, just, not just putting your rod over your shoulder and looking, I mean, you're fishing. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I just hope that whatever decisions are made, it's it's made from an educated point. That's been my point from the start. Like, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people out there throwing opinions and and making opinions sound like facts, but they're not. I mean, we need to make a smart decision on the future and and just by us talking about it right now, there are <laughs> people that will get in arguments in the comments. Um, David, I told you I've always been a huge fan of you growing up. And um, we could talk about a lot of highlights in your career, <laughs> but let's talk about some lowlights. One of my favorite David Fritz clip that lives on to this day is when you fell in the water on Bassmaster TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was at a Superstars tournament in Peoria, Illinois. Yeah, that was... Uh... You know, Ray Scott saved me in that because everybody's saying, well, he's disqualified. He fell out of the boat. He was outside the boat, but I still have one arm on it. So Ray stuck up for me on that deal. And uh, and it was just when I reached over to get the fish, it was like I got too far out. And uh, my head was under the water, and I'm thinking, you know, something's got to give here. I can't keep going like this. <laughs> so... You know, I flopped in the water and threw the fish in the boat and got back in the boat. But yeah, that was quite a memorable deal. That that strand rain suit is probably one of the most popular items I have in in a museum there in North Carolina. So uh, everybody talks about the the, the strand rain suit, and uh, that was uh, that's a and you still see it on back. I, I, any of the old Bassmaster shows is on there, but it was just purely an accident. And I just, I had to make a decision. Was it going to drown or was it going to get in the water? Because I just leaned out too far. And, you know, back then I was probably a little bit bigger and I was a little bit top heavy. So <laughs> I hear you there. I hear you. And I, and I, I end up didn't win the tournament. I finished second. I should have won it, but you know how that is. I should have won a lot of them, but, uh, but everything's got to be, perfect to win you won the first classic you ever fished tell me what i mean that at that time in the sport with with as many eyeballs as were on the classic to be up there with ray scott with you know what i mean what did that feel like to be there well you know it's the greatest feeling in the world i mean I, I tell you what really drove me the year before when I threw that fish back and, and missed a classic by a pound. I sat up there and watched Bob Hamilton win, and he won it with a crankbait, and that just irked me to no end. I'm thinking, man, you know, and I'm sitting up there with one of the Ranger reps, and I'm telling him, I said, man, if I was in this tournament, I think I, I'd have a good chance. And that really drove me to be a little more persistent. And actually, in 93, I had a great year. I mean, not for the classic. I mean, I had a really good year that year and uh, because I was so determined. But to get up there and to win in front of all them people, that ain't nothing that equals it. I mean, if you're a fisherman, that's got to to be everybody's ultimate goal and to achieve that is just very humbling and you know you go for about six months and don't realize what you did and then you start realizing man you know it's just a tournament but it's with all the pressure with all the hype going into it 
it makes it extremely hard. But I was, you know, I was in my element. I was doing what I like to do. I was throwing my crankbait. I was filling those fish. And, and you know, I've, I've changed it a little bit since then. You know, taking the fish around the boat, I don't do much anymore. But a lot of those fish were barely hooked, and I had to really be easy with them. And remember I told you I figured out something to catch nine out of ten of them? That, that was part of it. You know, rod, reel, low stretch line. There's a lot, a lot of things that, that, that went along with that. But... I caught every one of them and won a classic. The the year that I should have won, another one there that Dion Hibden won, I finished third, and I had to fish in my hand two times to win it and got in a hurry and just, I had the belly, I had my hand under his belly and, and started to pick up and it just slid out of my hand. The bait was already come out of his mouth. And if I would have just took a little bit more time and I didn't catch every one of them. That's why I say, if you catch every, you catch nine out of ten bass, you're going to win. I mean, you're going to win. And uh, but I recommend winning the classic to anybody. It's it's the greatest feeling that a, a fisherman can ever achieve. Uh, Angler of the Year rivals it. I mean, but it's not in front of people you can see, like yeah. twenty five people in a, in a coliseum. It, it's is is just totally different, and you know when I won, it was like, man, everybody in this place wanted me to win. I mean, it, it's really a special feeling. How when when you watch other people win, like Jeff Gustafson this past year, there has to be some kind of connection. Do you feel a connect? I mean, because there's just so few people who have ever won it. What does it feel <laughs> after being a champion? Feel like to watch other people accomplish it. Well, I, I know what they're in for, and I know that, you know, you don't win the Classic because you didn't deserve to win. Uh, it's a lot of work, a lot of know-how, and it just depends where you're at, and if that tournament gets in your element, that's when, but it, it's amazing. I mean, they have been, Lord, I've been to the Classic every year for I don't know how many years, <laughs> a lot. Even before I won the Classic, I was going to do the Classic. So it's probably I know how they feel, I know what's going on, and you, you just have to smile. I mean, whoever wins, I mean, especially I love the ones that win that really deserve the win, that done everything the right way and 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 there's been quite a few of those. And it was just our day. And then sometimes it's just, you know, accidents happen. Well, that's a good accident to happen when you uh, flip a four pounder over a limb that you should have never caught. So, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff, they always told me that a lot of times you make your own luck. Yeah. And yeah. If things are going good, everything goes good. And that's what happens. Then when things go bad, then everything goes bad. So <laughs> that's sort of the way fishing is. But man, I would recommend winning a classic to anybody. <laughs> it, it, I've never won one, but it does seem like a, a good thing to do in life. Well, at least um, you're on stage with them. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I tell my kids every year, I'm like, I've never won, but just so you know, I'm the second last dude on that stage. <laughs> uh, so many people you've got to fish with, so many people you've got to experience and, and get relationships with. I, I'd like to just run through some of them and, and you give me some thoughts on them, whether it's a story, whether it's a, you know, what, what do you, so I'll just, I'll just start with, with 
with the king, basically. King Clun. Tell me about Rick Clun. Well, like I say, I've never fished with Rick, but I fished against him for yeah. as long as I've been fishing. And and in the day, uh, even today, Rick's always in competition. He's always going to be one to beat, uh, especially if fish are up in his zone. And I admire him. I mean, man, I, I, he was in the top five of the tournament I won on Lake Ufala, which was an FLW event. And uh, and Van Dam was in it. Who else was in it? I don't remember. But Clint was the one I was worried about because I knew, and he was fishing close, and, and he had that shallow deal going on. So the Rick Clint is a true gentleman to the sport. He's not going to ease in on you. Uh, and actually, I've talked to Rick more in the last two or three years than I ever have. But Rick's just, he's the kind of person you want, want to know where you're fishing at because you ain't got to worry about it. And he's very honest uh, and he's very persistent. And a lot of times that's what fishing is, is being persistent. Making multiple casts to where you really think there's a fish at. And a lot of people don't have that. He has that. Denny Brower. <laughs> well, I ended up beating Denny out for Angler of the Year in 1994. It was at Lake Ufala. And all I can say is it was my time to win. But Denny was, man, he, he was always somebody who was in competition. I mean, you had to worry about Denny everywhere you, you went because he always found him shallow. And he was about as good as he was, uh, you know, with the jig or worm or whatever it is, pitching in those bushes. And, and Denny, Denny was sort of quiet. Uh, he didn't, I mean, he wasn't quite as personable as some of the people, but he was so concentrated on what he was doing. And, and Denny was very proficient at figuring out what kind of bush, what kind of limb, you know, where that fish was at is amazing. I mean, it was amazing. I, I watched him. We was at, oh, Lake Lanier in Georgia. And I saw him running in the pocket. And he's going there and just fish one lamb or one, one, one tree. I'm thinking, what in the world's going on? And he had that pattern going where he knew exactly what tree, what lamb, how deep it needed to be. And it was amazing. I mean, that's sort of like the way that I used to do crankbait fishing. But it was amazing to be able to translate that into fishing in a fishing shallow. But Denny was one of those that didn't give you a lot of praise. He wasn't too happy when I won Angler of the Year. But, uh, you know, Denny was very competitive, but he also was very honest and uh, a really good guy, really good competitor, and really. He's one of the ones you had to you had to fish against every tournament. Kevin Van Dam. <laughs> well, you know, Kevin's probably well, he's one more than anybody. Um and and Kevin had a good drive to him. Uh in the early days it was real cocky and I knew if he could ever get over that, people would like him better. And and he did overcome that and he got uh, you know, Kevin could do anything from throwing a spinning reel. So I don't even own a spinning reel, but he 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 he, he could do it all. Uh, 
any technique, he was going to be in the top five fishermen in it. And and he grew too because he was in a classic that I won, and and he was in some of the tournaments where I fished with him, and like I say, he liked to fall and tried to because he had to catch them. And uh, the Kevin is a really good learner. And another another thing, I think the forward facing sort of getting him a little bit because his eyes ain't quite as good as they used to be. But man, I, I mean, when you went to a tournament, you could count on him being a top ten somewhere in most tournaments. And he was he was definitely, you know, they we had a lot of guys back then that could win anything they fished, and and he was definitely one of them. But but I like Kevin is really. You know, in the last 10 years, 10, 12 years. Well, actually, ever since I won a classic in 1993, he has got better every year, and he's got better with people every year, and he's got better fishing every year. <laughs> Here's a name from the past, Chet Douthit. Oh, Chet. Me and Chet used to stay together. I didn't know that. Yeah, we did. We used we roomed together, and... uh way back in the day and Chip, man, he's a, he's a great guy. Um, Chip could do about anything. He didn't understand, you know, he's a lot better shallower, shallow than he was, uh, out deep, but I helped him in a few tournaments. Actually one of them, he made the top 10 cut in and I won Lake Minnetonka. Um, I said, I got this old place, Chet. I said, you can go over and try it. I said, there was a bunch of fish there, and he went over there and made top 10. So, But Chet was, like Rick Clinton, he was really persistent. And he could actually make a fish bite. Where you, you know, most people would have given up on a long time ago. And I, I seen him in an area at, well, when was on the Detroit River in Lake St. Clair, I seen him sitting over there on a grass bed and he sit there and he sit there and he comes in with a big bag and I think he's alive. But Chet is one of the great guys in fish. And he I was also a great football player too. Yeah. <laughs> uh Chet's a great guy. I mean, man, we had a lot of really good guys. We really did back in the nineties and the two thousands. Just a lot of really, really good guys. Like I said, we had about five you had to watch out for. Other than that, everybody was good. Okay, well, hopefully, hopefully, I don't mention one of those five here. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> um, but but you can also just say next question. Um, but yeah, no, Chet was a former. I remember former Miami Dolphin. I think he played yeah, for the Dolphins for a little while. Yep. Here's another name from the past: Basil Bacon. Oh, Basil! I see him uh, every year at the at the Hall of Fame, and uh, Basil. We was always pretty good buddies. Uh, and, you know, he liked that long rod in his hand, too. I mean, Basil was uh, – yeah. but Basil was uh, – you couldn't ask for a nicer guy. Uh, the guy was really good, especially up in his area. Anytime you run across a, a lake, there was like table rod for bull shoals. I mean, he was just – a killer on it, uh, among others, but he was really dangerous with a with a jig and a and big long rod in his hand. But Basil, I remember Basil for being such a classy guy, and never stepped on your toes. Was always consistent. 
and just a good guy, just a good guy. I mean, you know, I think that might be something that this day and time there's not quite as many of, but back then we had a lot of really good guys and Basil was definitely on top of that list. All right, let's get a little more current. Seth Fighter. Well, I don't know Seth that good. Um, I do know he he has probably got more print sides than I do. <laughs> and uh, uh, which, you know, that's an, he don't lie about it. He'll tell me kind of on the frame page. So uh, I like Seth, uh, and I don't know him that well. Uh, I keep promising. Actually, I brought him a watermelon up to uh, Lake Champlain. I didn't run into him, so we ended up eating it because he always says, I want a watermelon. <laughs> so, but, uh, man, that's a good guy. He's, he's a, he, he's sort of, he's sort of a loner, sort of stays out, but, uh, he gave me some hooks at one of the tournaments. I think we were at Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I stayed up every side of him. And, Man, them guys try to help you any way they can. There's just really good guys. He's a really good fisherman. And Seth is is really versatile when it comes to to your bait line. You know, your crankbaits, your jigs, your spinner baits, your chatter baits, your top water, your jerk baits. I mean, that's one thing he has. He's good. he's pretty good at all of them. And uh, that's what I say about Seth Fighter is. You know, you can catch them anyway. And a lot of people can't do that, including myself. But uh, he can do that. So, anyway, great guy. Final guy, person I'm going to ask you about, um, and he's the chicken that laid the egg. That's what I always called him, Ray Scott. Ray Scott. Man. You know, Ray, he was everybody's buddy. And Ray treated people spectacular. And he promoted everybody like he was the best fisherman in the world. And, you know, a lot of times Ray would put his arm around you. And uh, he always promoted you and what you've done, like me being a crankbait fisherman or Jimmy Houston being a spinnerbait fisherman or, or whatever. He always was really great about promoting you at what you were the best at. Now, I don't know what you can say about Ray Scott. I don't everybody know. He just, he is, man, he's a legend. He's the one that got this sport going. Um, but I remember Ray Scott by the way he treated me and other fishermen and the way he promoted us up on stage and always told your good points, never said anything negative. And he always found some way to make you laugh. And hey man, Ray Scott, he was he was one of a kind. He's 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 the best. So I don't know what else I can say. He was one of a kind and and uh David Fritz, I, I think you too are one of a kind. Um and and, and I thank you for for everything you've done for this sport. And I, and I know you're still going to be part of this sport, although I won't see you in the elite series. Um, I hear you're fishing some NPFL stuff this year. 
and uh, I look forward to seeing how uh, how that goes for you. But man, just just thank you, thank you for for everything you've given this sport, whether it be from the memories from competition or it be the design stuff that you've done. It's truly an amazing, amazing career, and and an absolute honor for me to ever have been able to introduce you or or say hello to you in the morning on the boat dock. So so thank you very much. Well, thank you for everything you've done. You you do a great job up there. I don't know. You know, we had fishermen for a while, and <laughs> we've had a few, but you've done a really good job. And I think that's ought to give you a raise. I mean, you, you <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure, man. It's uh, I'm gonna miss that. But I've got to try something. I thought, you know, if I get away from multiple tournaments and sort of get on a month or two month deal and and get back in the fall you know my favorite time was fall fishing and that's yeah. one thing we like in bass and and you know used to in the top 100s we always had two or three fall tournaments and we'd have two or three and we only had to deal with sight fishing maybe one tournament of the year or so uh the schedule i mean and i don't know you know i'm i'm about done uh, just because of my energy level and I wish I could get a little bit of energy back, but uh, but I'm not done creating crane base. I know two or three crane base that if I can get somebody to make them, we're gonna have it's gonna be a Fritz side senior when when we get them made. So I don't know who's gonna make them yet. I can't talk anybody into doing it, but anyway, we're gonna get there. But it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you for everything you've done for me and uh, and everything you do for everybody, all the fishermen. I mean, and it's you know, it's a talent to be able to get up there and to speak and to recognize. One thing, I can't remember all the names. <laughs> so I don't know if you were just shining up there on the little screen or, but, uh, and that's another thing, Ray Scott, he, man, he, he always knew who everybody was and you do a great, great job and, and you're very deserving. I don't know who could replace you. So, I don't know what kind of compliment you can get any better than that. Well, I, I, I'm not real good with compliments and, um, I thank you for that. Uh, cause <laughs> that's incredible. Before I let you go though, we want to start a brand new tradition on this show. You're going to be the first person ever to do it. I don't know who next week's guest is going to be, but I'm going to allow you to ask that person a question. It can be anything. Have you ever been in jail? Do you have tattoos or what's your favorite? <laughs> something fishing related give me a question for that person and um and i'll ask them next week and we'll find out all right my i guess my question would be have you ever lied about a bait you caught them on it's a great question and a great way to start <laughs> there's not many people that can answer that truthfully <laughs> well we'll find out whoever next week's guest is and uh once again i thank you very much um the one and only Mr. David Fritz. Yep. Thank you kindly. What an amazing angler and an amazing man and an amazing part of this amazing sport. And um, it'd be amazing if I didn't say amazing anymore, but um, I'm amazed by you guys tuning in here week after week. I thank you for that. Keep the grow going at 315,000 YouTube subscribers. You guys have made this show. So um, 
tell a buddy about this show. Keep the grow going. Enjoy being. Have a great week. And as always, Bob Cobb, take it away. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear?